Good morning, folks. Such a delight to bring the word of the Lord to you this morning. And we had such a special test. Me, actually, one of the students shared with Amu this week just how she had just a horrible dream. I mean, literally, her words were it was just a demonic dream. And she woke up and she prayed. And she, what she also did is she actually clicked on the link to our YouTube stream. So, welcome to everybody who's watching us online. We're streaming live to the World Wide Web and uh, who knows watching. We, we just bless you if you're joining us online. And she said the Word of God literally delivered her. And she clicked on the other links, the SoundCloud links to our other messages, and she literally just felt uh, deliverance come to her as the Word of God. And literally, I've, I've, I've had a prophetic word about God's Word being like a hammer. And, you know, a hammer can smash things. And so, and that's my prayer, that, that God's word would just smash the lies of the enemy that sometimes torment us just so unnecessarily. So Lord, I thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of your word. Lord, you say about your word that you send forth your word as rain goes forth from heaven and doesn't return back to it. But Lord, it waters the earth. And Lord, I just pray as rain falls, it doesn't go back up to heaven. It waters the earth. It brings forth life. Lord, I pray wherever this word goes, to every heart sitting here to whoever's watching online, Lord, that your word would be like rain. It would water our thirsty souls, Lord. It would wash our minds of any ungodly thinking. It would cleanse us, Lord. You say that, that you wash us by the watering of your word. Lord, wash us as your word goes forth. Thank you for this, this streaming opportunity, Father. Lord, that you could take this word to anybody, any night this week, who is, who is being buffeted by the enemy. Lord, and your word can deliver them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming. And uh, we just want to assure you that we are very much cognizant of where we are. South Africa is officially in a third wave, but we are very much consulting locally. Uh, we consult people in the, in, the, in, the, in the medical fraternity on a weekly basis regarding what is happening. And so we definitely are saying, Lord, give us wisdom regarding whether to have in-person, whether to go online, etc. But it is a, a, something that literally changes every week at this stage. So thank you for coming in person. Remember, we put chairs outside for those who prefer that option. And we have at the bottom there also the speaker aims outside so you can hear outside if you want to sit in your car and listen. Some people choose that uh, option besides all the multiple online platforms, SoundCloud, podcast, YouTube. It's hard for you not to get the word every week. Let me just say, you've got to kind of be ducking and diving to get out of the way of receiving the word of the God every week. But we believe in the power of God's word. Amen. It is a high priority uh, for us to speak God's word, to bring God's word to you. So welcome, welcome. 
So we're actually doing uh, part two of what we started last week, and I entitled it Hope in God, and we're just going to put it on the screen there, and it's from Psalm 42 verse 5, and the verse is right there, so if you just click, you'll see the verse, and it's, this is what it says, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? This is the psalmist writing, he's just being, I, I love the honesty. Saying, this is where I'm at. But in the middle of this verse, verse 5, it changes. He says, hope in God. He's, literally, he's talking to himself and he's writing as he's talking himself. Hope in God. In other translations, he says, put your hope in God. Soul, stop being distressed. Stop freaking out about the news, about third wave, about what a, what a, what a. Hope in God. Put your hope in God. And look at the change, the second part of this verse. For I shall again praise him, again. In other words, this isn't new for him. Because he puts his hope in God, he says, I will praise you, God. For I shall, uh, my salvation and my God. My salvation and my God. Folks, when you put your hope in God, God as a Savior is a reality. Whatever situation you're facing, the reality that God is a Savior becomes real to you, and we can praise Him. And so, I said last week, you're kind of crazy if you don't talk to you. You know, everybody talk to yourself. Everybody actually does. They've, they've analyzed people's thought processes, and, and there's a discourse going inside of you all the time. Some of us aren't even aware of it. And we can sometimes, we can very much, not sometimes, we can take a hold of the discourse when it's going south and saying, soul, put your hope in God. I will yet praise Him, my salvation and my God. So last week I put up this definition of hope and I actually wanted to expand it a little bit. And this definition, remember I said, it's from this lady um, from Cameroon. She wrote a letter to a pastor in America and she wrote this. And she said, biblical hope not only desires something good for the future, it expects it to happen. And this she wrote in 1980. I was actually just doing the calcs. If she was a young woman then, she's probably um, <laughs> sort of my age. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> she's, a, she's, a, she's a mature woman of God. But the pastor who got this letter said when he, he, he was ministering in Cameroon, she really needed a word of hope. She really needed I don't know what her situation was. She was obviously in a hopeless situation. But he said he was so encouraged when he got this letter from her. When she gave this definition of hope, which he used in the article I read, full hope. And he was like, she got it. By George, she got it. Okay? But I, it's further. It's not just, it's not just, it's not a baseless hope. It's not just, ah, it's better to be hopeful than hopeless. Our hope is rooted in a faithful good kind God. Folks, getting to know what our Father is truly like is really, it's the wellspring, it's the source, it's the root of our hope. It's not just, uh, you know, I'm going to be positive today. You know, I, had a pe I was a pessimist yesterday, today I'm going to be an optimist. Yeah, I'm telling you, it's better to be an optimist in terms of your mental health and well-being. It is a fact. But it's not just, mm, I'm going to be positive. Positive thinking has benefits. I want to see you, biblical hope is rooted in the nature and character of a good God. Your Father is good, and He's good all the time. And because of that goodness, we have an expectation of good. Look in the middle of it. Desires or expect something good for the future. How can you expect 
good for the future because your Father is good. And everything that He does is good. And He works good in all circumstances. Remember, we looked at that verse, Romans 8.28, last week. He works good. And so we, ha- we can have a biblical expectation of good because of who God is. Amen? And I, and I took this. I'm going to put one more quote on. This is a quote by this guy. I haven't met him, don't know, but I like what he had to say. He said this, The hope that God has provided for you is not merely a wish. Neither is it dependent on other people, possessions, or circumstances for its validity. Folks, that means, if it's not dependent on other people, that means other people shouldn't impact our hope so much. He's saying your hope is not dependent on other people. So sometimes when we are, and I'm not saying I'm immune to this. Folks, sometimes people say things to me, it nails my hope sometimes. I'm not immune to this. I'm just saying that's not the source of my hope. All possessions. You know, the Bible says the rich put their hope in their possessions. Folks, the Bible says like this, you can lose it all. Many cases in history. It's not a good place to put your hope. Or circumstances for its validity. Circumstances can change so easily. That shouldn't affect our hope. That's not the source of our hope. I, good circumstances, generally people are more hopeful. You know, the economy's up, got a good job, I'm hopeful. But that's not the source of our hope as, as people who are devoted followers of Jesus. It's not the source of our hope. Instead, biblical hope is an application of your faith that supplies a confident expectation in God's fulfillment of His promises. Confident expectation. I've underlined that there. The reason is, years ago when I did Bible school, the definition that I learned about hope, for hope, is a joyful, confident expectation. Hope is a joyful, confident expectation. But I want to say this, and I've actually taken this little bit and I put it together with what the lady from Cameroon says. And I just, I just put it together like this. And this is what I wrote. It's a joyful, confident expectation of good for the future rooted in a faithful, good, and kind God. Rooted in a good, faithful, kind God. But it's a confident, joyful expectation of good for the future. And folks, remember... Uh, remember what we, we, we said last week. I spoke about glistening hope, and, and I spoke. I, did, I was surprised how much I spoke about it. But we said this, Francis Frangipani's famous quote, Every area of your life that does not glisten with hope means you're believing a lie, and that area is a stronghold of the devil in your life. Now go listen to, we, we, we recorded that part of the message. I'm sorry, tech went down after that. <laughs> Um, I kind of feel that's all the Lord wanted the world to hear from last week's message. But this aspect of glistening with hope, folks, it is, it's been one of those, those flashlights on my, on my inner dial when my hope level is going low. You know, when it's getting in the red, it's like, what's going on here? And when you go with the Lord, with the Holy Spirit... And say, Lord, what's going on? Why have I lost hope? Why is my hope beeping at danger levels? So often, it's because I'm believing a lie. And if we believe it and we embrace that lie, it literally becomes a stronghold of the enemy in our lives. 
So we unpacked that last week. I don't want to go there more. I want to share a story with you that, that is just so real. And it's the story of, on the next side, David and Goliath. But I want to pick it up, and I, I, I'm not actually going to look at the fight. You know what happens. David uses his catty and takes out this nine-foot giant. Sorry, lost, oh, a little while ago I said he's seven and a half foot. I had it wrong. Okay, he's nine foot. Okay, he's a big dude. And we often focus on, you know, the fight and everything is great. I actually want to look at the audience and, and some of the stuff that went around that incredible event because I believe it's such a story of hope. And let's just read what the scripture says. I'm reading from the Message Bible. So this is Goliath. Goliath, remember, came out and give this, gave this taunting challenge to the armies of Israel. And Goliath said, if I get the upper hand, so he's challenging, he's calling them to bring a man to fight him. And, and he says, this is what he says about fighting that man. If I get the upper hand and kill him, you'll all become our slaves and serve us. I challenge the troops of Israel this day, give me a man. Let us fight it out together. When Saul and his troops heard the Philistines' challenge, they were terrified and lost all hope. And they lost all hope. Folks, don't underestimate losing hope and the impact it'll have on your life and the lives of the people around you. It should be one of those red lights on your dashboard like, I need to sort this out. You know, when your petrol on your car is getting and it's flashing, you sort it out. You go to a garage, you put in petrol. Folks, if your hope level's down, don't ignore it. It could have devastating consequences on your life, okay? It says here, they lost all hope. I want to rewind. I said the, no, no, sorry, Cynthia, on the slide. So there. You all become our slaves and serve us. And the result of that challenge is they were terrified and lost all hope. Remember Israel's history. Remember the story of Gideon. They were hiding from the Philistines, which was the Midianites in that case. But they, they, they knew what it, what it was like to be an oppressed nation. In the, in the, often, if they lost this victory, this is what the expectation would have been. The Philistines would have, would have climbed into their army many, multiple thousands of Israelite men would have been killed. They would have probably put the rest to death in any case that they caught. And they would have taken the women and children captives as slaves to serve them. And folks, I want you just to reflect. I don't know if, you, if you've seen, even in the Middle East today, let's just say the not nice feelings between Arabs and Jews. Can you imagine the anticipation? Imagine you're a father. It's Father's Day. And you're in Saul's army. And you're standing there. And this nine-foot giant is saying that they are going to make you slaves. And you're going to serve them. And you're a dad. Just imagine you're a dad. You, you're normal. Okay? You're not... David hasn't rocked up on the scene yet. Okay? And you're just imagining being killed and your dear wife and children being enslaved by Philistines, and you know how much these guys hate you. And the thoughts in your mind of what on earth they could do to your beautiful wife and your children if these, if these Philistines got a hold of them. I'm saying that because we focus on David, and he's the champion and everything. But folks, where these men, folks, there were men like you and me, they were brothers like your brother, they were uncles like your uncle, they were just real people 
facing this challenge. I was reflecting back, March last year, WHO, World Health Organization, proclaims pandemic. That is an official status in their lingo that I can't remember when last or if ever they've actually used that status. How many of you remember seeing the videos and pictures of the hospitals in Italy? Where literally they're just beds and people on the ground everywhere. And the stories of doctors just freaking out saying, guys, the mortality rate in Italy beginning of March last year was 10%, folks. One in 10 people, and, they, and, they didn't, and people were literally dying. They didn't have enough ventilators. It was freaky. It was like, folks, these oaks standing there, and we hear the, world, the word pandemic. We look at a first world country, can't handle. Their medical system is tanking. They cannot handle it. Here we're sitting in Africa, and we're thinking, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? I don't know what you did. Did you look at those videos of Wuhan, totally shut down, ghost city, nobody around for weeks and weeks on end? I was like, oh my goodness. It's like Goliath standing in front of me and saying, I'm going to enslave you. I'm going to capture you. I'm going to kill you. I'm just telling you, when I looked at some of those videos, when I, I don't know, did you get those voice clips and those notes from doctors in Italy saying, guys, this is this is, this is overwhelming. We don't know what to do. I, I was there. I was, I was looking at Goliath and saying, oh my goodness, my beautiful wife and my children, what's going to happen? I'm saying this isn't so weird. We're facing a third wave. We're in a third wave, officially. Yesterday, the night before, we are getting messages. We're on, we on a national group. In Pretoria, folks, none of our churches are meeting in person. And the reason is most of the leaders and elders are, are either have tested positive and we're getting messages, please pray for so-and-so. The ambulance is coming to get him now. He's really battling to breathe, etc., etc. Hey, man, this kind of stuff is real. You know, when you get a message saying, they've just taken your uncle to hospital, you know, this is, this is, this is the space you stand. You think, oh my goodness, are we going to survive? How are we going to make, make it through this? And... And so this is just, this is real. You know, sometimes we just read over this and because we know, well, for me, you know, I've read this story often. David comes, he gets five stones, nails a giant. Okay, good story, you know. But this was real. Let's read on. The Philistine champion Goliath of Gath stepped out from the front lines. There's a few verses on. Front lines the Philistines and gave his usual challenge. Now, what had happened in the interim? David's dad sends him to take some sandwiches to his brothers. So he arrives there, so they describe David coming. And so now this is 40 days later. For 40 days, he's, uh, Goliath has been coming and saying, I'm going to enslave you. We're going to kill you. Who's going to fight with me? And the dads and the brothers and the uncles are freaking out. And he gave his usual challenge. David heard him. See, David hadn't heard this before. His brothers had heard this for 40 days. The Israelites, to a man, fell back the moment they saw the giant, totally frightened. Okay, this is real life, hey? Let's go on. Next verse. David asked, what's in it for the man who kills that Philistine and gets rid of this ugly blot on Israel's honor? Now, folks, I... I spent some time just imagining being a dad in that army and hearing this. 
And then this 13-year-old upstart little dude comes and says, what's in it for the dude who kills that? <laughs> Look what he says. Gets rid of this ugly blot on Israel's honor. I'm like, David, where are you coming from? You don't understand what we're facing. Literally, we're looking down the barrel of a gun, you know. You're the guy, you know, imagine a guy with an AK-47 aiming at you. That's kind of what the army felt like. Look at what David says. Who does he think he is anyway? This uncircumcised Philistine taunting the armies of God alive. Look at this. Look at, look at David's thing. He's like David, the, the armies of God alive. Remember the heavenly armies, the angels in heaven? God, David is seeing God. He's seeing the angels. He's seeing the armies of Israel. He's seeing all this. He's saying, what, what right does he have? He doesn't see this is me. He's saying, it's all of us and God. I mean, do you see? He's just got a God perspective. And I want to tell you, folks, I've said this before. I said this a while ago. You know, what are we seeing over here? You see, the other people are just looking at this nine-foot giant. David looks at the nine-foot giant. He says, he's only nine foot. Look at all these armies. Look at the heavenly armies. Look at God. He's comparing all that. He's like, whoa, look, look up there. You can't even see how tall God is. That God against that small little giant. He's saying, what's your problem? What's your problem? You see, perspective changes everything. The, 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 the armies, the dads, the brothers, they're looking at their height and they're looking up at the giant and they're comparing themselves to the giant and they're saying, ah, oh, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. David says, let's compare the giant to God and all the armies of God. He's saying, what's your problem? Why are you freaking out? Perspective. He's just looking at it differently, folks. You know, so often I'm telling you, I, I, don't, always, I, don't, I don't always respond like this. I don't, I'm being honest. There are times that I'm freaked out at, at Goliath and I'm saying, I don't know how we're going to do this. He's a, he's a big, hairy, mean fighting machine. How are we going to get through this and past this dude? But David looks at the armies of God and, and God is like, come on, guys. Sometimes I want to tell you, we need people in our lives. My wife is the best perspective-changing machine on the earth. I am often looking at my Goliath I'm going, oh my goodness, the guy is so big. How are we going to do this? And my wife says, well, uh, you know, she'll say, what about God? The army, I don't know. You know, she, she just like claps me right, okay? She's taken, by the way. She's my wife. Just, just Okay, I need her in my life. Look what, look what goes. Next verse. Next verse. The things David was saying. So then David is going around and he's talking to the guys and he's saying, how come? You can read what... The things David was saying, for example, what he said there, were picked up and reported to Saul. That's the king. Saul sent for him. Master, said David, don't give up hope. We're talking about hope. Don't give up hope. I'm ready to go and fight this Philistine. Remember, David's looking at God and the Philistine, not himself and the Philistine. How do you look at your Goliaths? Do you look at, well, God, with you on my side, we can do this thing? Or you just look at it in your own limited ability and gifting and whatever and saying, mm, Lord, I can't do this in myself. It's challenging, but this is where we live. Don't give up hope. And this message this morning, if there's just one thing I underline and read, don't give up hope. Don't give up hope. And go on, but it goes on to say, 
Saul answered David, you can't go and fight this Philistine. You're too young and inexperienced, and he's been at this fighting business since before you were born. Can you see? Saul is looking at David and Goliath. David is looking at God and Goliath. And he's saying it's easy. Saul's looking at David and Goliath. This battle, remember, it's, we talk about the battle of David and Goliath. It's actually God and Goliath. What chance did the poor giant have? I mean, we must feel sorry for him, okay? He didn't have a chance, okay? You're too young and experienced. How many of you often tick that box? I'm too young and experienced. This is too daunting. Lord, I've never faced anything like this before. Man, you know, my kids keep on reminding me. I often tell my kids about how tough it was in the old days when we went to school. You know, I, I used to, um, my, we stayed close to the school. So we, we had bicycles, but we either had to walk or we ride a bicycle. My kids get driven to school in a car, okay? And often the aircon is on. Now, I know some of you had tough life like mine, but then my kids will say, but Dad, did you ever live through a pandemic when you were young? <laughs> I'm like, okay, good, okay, your life is much harder than mine. Forget it. I'll drive you to school. Forget it, you know, okay. So, you're too young and inexperienced. Folks, yes, we have limitations in, in and of ourselves. We have lots of reasons to say we can't. But that's not how David saw it. David said, I've been, and I'm, I've just underlined I've been. What is he doing? He's reflecting on his history with God. He's being inspired by testimony, by stories. Folks, I'm sharing a story with you, a real story. And folks, this story inspired David. David's story, he's telling his story. You know, you can let the story inspire you. And I want to ask you, what are your stories? What is your history with God? Folks, if you've walked with God for a little while, you've been through some stuff. Otherwise, you wouldn't be sitting here. You wouldn't be in church. You've been through stuff. God has brought you through some serious battles with some big, hairy giants in your own life. Each one of us. Folks, we could, you know, it says, it says about, uh, you know, the things about Jesus everything couldn't be written in a book. You have stories of what Jesus has done for you, folks. We could be here until 2089 and not finish. Just the stories of what you have had Jesus doing in your own life. And here he's telling, I've been, he's reflecting on his own history with God. I have been doing this, folks, recently because I have been facing hope challenges in my own life. My hope has been under attack. And so one of the things they're doing, I'm, I'm preaching on hope. I'm ministering on hope. I'm reading scriptures on hope. I'm listening to messages on hope, etc. David said, I've been, I've been reflecting on my own stories with God. I've been a shepherd. Now, how many of you, <laughs> I was just thinking about this. How many of you are like, this is crazy. This is a major military battle. How many of you, you would not go and look for a shepherd to sort out your problems? But this is not a normal shepherd. This is a shepherd that shepherds with God. I've been a shepherd, tending sheep for my father. Whenever a lion or bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I'd go after it, knock it down, and rescue the lamb. And he says more exactly what he did to them. You can read more. I didn't have space on the screen. Lion or bear, it made no difference. I killed it, and I'll do the same to this Philistine. Come on. 
He's drawing hope. Why could he say, say to the king, don't lose hope? He's drawing courage from his history with God, his story with God. I'm just thinking, I mean, we met as, as uh, the, the couple's um, young families a little while ago. And we went around the group and we were telling stories about how God brought different couples together. Folks, there is God in all those stories. I could see the hand of God, how different people, such different stories. But God working in these stories. How much do you reflect on your history with God? Folks, I, my, my final year at university, I failed a key subject, Structural Analysis 401. As a civil engineer, it is a, one of the core courses. Structural Analysis is... You know, and analyzing the forces and designing structures to stand up, okay? And engineers, that bridge or building falls down is not a good engineer. How many of you agree that, okay? You've got to design the thing that it stands up, okay? So if you don't pass structural analysis 401, you don't get to graduate as a civil engineer. I get it. Except I failed it. And because, anyway, long story, we had an amazing lecturer. He had designed those huge big bridges uh, down on the gar uh, garden route, those big arch bridges where there's bungee jumping. He was on, he was one of the Liebenbergen standard design engineers. He came from Germany, he designed those bridges, top of the game. And we actually, he was, he was giving us cutting edge design a theory on how to design, ultimate limit state design, if you want to know what it was. And it was cutting edge stuff. The other university didn't do it. Literally, I had a friend at Stellenbosch University after I graduated. He, he got a job with engineers. And they hadn't done uh, ultimate limit state design. He borrowed my notes to get it because that, it, it, that's how cutting edge it was. But it's very theoretical and it went over my head. So I failed the first time around. Second time around, I had a bit more vuma. I, I ran at it a bit harder, but I also failed. I had a bursary. My dad had said to me, if, if you want to go to university, which I wanted to, he said, he was a teacher. He said, I don't have money for university. You better get a, get a bursary. I don't, yeah, I don't have money for university. You better get a bursary. So I did. My June, July holidays, I spent the whole holiday writing letters to construction companies and business trying to get bursaries. Eventually I did. Praise God. But now I am facing, literally looking down the barrel of a gun, I have a big hairy giant, nine foot giant standing in front of me. And this is what the giant said to me. This is, this is what I was facing. I had one more option to write that exam. I, my, my, my bursar said to me that if I do not uh, pass this exam, I would have to pay back four years worth of academic fees, which I guesstimate is in today's term like 400, 500,000 rand. This is now finish. I mean, being at university, and now suddenly they're going to give me, you know, an IOU of 400,000, 500,000 Rand in today's financial terms, okay? Uh, the university said to me, you only have three choices, chances to rewrite an exam. This, and I won't tell you the circumstances that I went through. I was in a really tough situation. Um, they, they, they said, this is your last chance to write the exam. If you don't pass this exam, you will be excluded from the university. You will not have a degree. I would have then pa have passed 62 out of the 63 prescribed subjects at university, four-year degree, not pass the last one, don't graduate, have a half a million rands debt. And, I mean, I was studying in Cape Town. Um, yeah, long story. 
to write this exam, I, I was staying in PE. We, we, we just got married. And I, I asked the lecturer if he wouldn't mind you know, sending the notes. So he tells me that year, the third time I'm writing, said, no, I won't, because you are paying for exam, EWA, exam without attendance. So I cannot give you any notes, and I cannot give you any other assistance. And just by the way, I want to tell you that we are changing the course this year, the, the contents of the course. So I had a nine-foot hairy giant challenging me that he's going to slaughter me and he's going to capture my wife and take my kids off into captivity. I want to tell you, I was standing there. Needless to say, I felt very motivated to study that year. And I studied like you won't believe. I had, fortunately, I had a friend uh, who was in the class. And I would drive down to Cape Town Literally once a month, I would drive down to Cape Town. I would see him. Uh, he would go over the work with me. I copied all his notes, etc. I reworked. I rewrote every word, every diagram of those notes multiple times. Every night, I was working in P, um, and I would just, I would just work. And the amazing thing is, I wrote that exam. After the exam, I went to the lecture. I said, Prof. Kratz, listen, do you mind? Once you've marked this exam, this was a mid-year exam. Um, do you mind just telling me if I passed or failed? I said, there's so much writing on this exam. I don't want to mark. I just want to know if I passed or failed. Prof. Kratz said to me, he said, no, I can't. It must still go to the external examiner. That's not policy. You've got to wait until the end of the year to hear your results. It's like, okay. So we wait. Two weeks later, I got a message from his secretary. Congratulations, Mr. Wibrelzer. You got a first-class pass. Yeah. <laughs> giant fall. Did you see him? <laughs> Folks, listen. Me and God. Me and God. Folks, I, I literally, I told, I told a work colleague, because I just started working that year. We nearly married. I told a work colleague the pressure I was under to study for that exam. He literally turned to me. His name was Leon. He said, geez, Jacques, if I was under that, if I was under that amount of pressure, I'd just be on drugs. <laughs> That's literally what he said to me. I want to honestly say, folks, I just chose to work like heck and trust God like crazy. I had total peace when I went into the exam. I felt so much confidence. I felt, I don't know why, the third time I wrote that exam was the easiest exam I've ever written. But then, as, as I always tell my kids, you know, I find that the harder I study, the easier the exams are. I don't know why. You know, when I don't study hard, the exams are really hard. When I study hard, the exams are easy. I don't know why the lectures always do it. Why do you lectures always do exams like that? When I study hard, you said easy exams. When I don't study hard, they're hard. Come on, guys. Do it the other way around for us poor, busy people, okay? I'm telling you history with God, folks. My little story that I have drawn such courage from over the years. David took courage from him killing a lion and a bear. What lions and bears have you slain? Folks, you to sit here have overcome huge hurdles. In this country, all kinds of prejudice, all kinds of discrimination, all kinds of disadvantaged backgrounds. Here you are sitting here, many of you registered at university, etc. You overcome so much. Those are your lions and bears. Take 
hope from those victories. It's the same God who got you through that, who got you to meet your lovely hubby and cute little wife, okay? The same God who brought you together there. He's still at work in your life. He's still the God of hope. Amen. Put your hope in God. Let's go on. Next slide. I want to share these quotes. These quotes. Steve Buckland, he's a pastor at Bethel Church. Now, Steve Buckland, folks, he has a phenomenal revelation on hope. I listen to this guy, and I, you know, I'm going to put some. Don't give the quote away, Cynthia. Please don't give the quote away. I'm, I'm telling my about to. He has these quotes that that rock me, and I actually I wanted to honor him. You know what they say about quotes. The first time you give quote someone, you have to give honor the reference, okay? The second time you quote, you can say somebody I know. But the third time, you've not taken full ownership of the quote, you can say, as I always say, okay? <laughs> I can't do this because, folks, he rocks me with his quotes. And so I've just got three quotes of him. I literally, I was going through an email. He had 15 quotes of them. And I was, some of them are so radically full of hope. I was like... I don't know if I can say it. I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. But the, one of his quotes, there are no hopeless circumstances, just hopeless people. Now, I want to say that he's talking to Christians, okay? If you're a believer who believes in the God of the impossible, for God there's nothing impossible, right? And we believe in the God of the impossible. Therefore, the circumstance are not the impossible thing. But if you believe it's impossible, that is the danger. That is the danger. Okay? There are no hopeless circumstances, just hopeless people. The next quote. My hopelessness about a problem is a bigger problem than the problem. Your hopelessness about a problem is a bigger problem than the problem. Remember what I said? The famous quote that I always say. <laughs> I've even forgotten the reference. Those who believe they can and those who believe they can't are both right. That's in essence what this is saying. Uh, I haven't gone, just go, uh, okay. My hopelessness about a problem is a bigger problem than the problem. Folks, just identify that it's not the problem. If you've lost hope in that circumstance, that is what you would deal with. What are the lies that you are believing that are causing you to think that you and God can't make it through, make it over, make it around, make it under the obstacle that you are facing. Next quote, he says this. And literally, this was Steve Buckland said, he heard the Lord challenging him with us. He said, you have permission to be hopeless about anything that God is hopeless about. Only that. Okay, have you found the thing that God has lost hope about? That he's sitting in and he's thinking, oh my goodness. You know, that thing thing he's going through. Jesus, you know, I don't know, I don't know about that, hey. Sure, you know. And then, of course, there's some care. You know, her, her problems. Whoo, Jesus, pray for me, says the Father. You know, this is a big one. I mean, it's, I'm joking about it. I mean, it's just, it's, you know, it's like, what things... Have you got permission to be hopeless about? Have you specifically sensed the Holy Spirit saying, listen, cuss, this thing is so bad. I'm having sleepless nights about it. Please, would you join me and also have sleepless nights about it? Please, man. Let's go on. It's 
says about Abram, in hope, he, Abram, believed against hope. Folks, remember, belief thrives in the atmosphere of hope. Hope is the atmosphere in which your faith grabs a hold of the promises of God. And so often the enemy, to get a hold of your faith, he punctures your hope. That is literally, if we had to suck the air out of this room, okay, firstly, we would not be complying with health protocols, but anyway, but secondly, you know, we'd have a problem, okay? Hope is the oxygen for your faith. And, and when it says against hope, remember, what was the circumstance? He was 100 years old. God had given a promise that from his loins, from his body, God would produce a son. That was, it's a hopeless situation. You're 100 years old, and God wants to produce a son from, from you with a wife that's 75, that is also, you know, let's just say past a sell-by date. And it's a hopeless situation. But it says, in hope, he Abraham believed against hope. Folks, it's okay to recognize, it's okay to recognize that in the natural, this is looking quite hopeless. But God, but God, that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. And I actually want to go to the verse before this. It says, Romans 4, 17. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. And calls things that are not as though they were. Folks, Abraham, remember, changed his name. Abraham means father of nations. God changed his name and he embraced the fact and so everybody he introduced himself to. He's fatherless. He's, he's whatever age. 80, he's 85. He's 90. And he's greeting anybody. Hello. My name is father of nations. And they're like, where's your son? <laughs> don't worry. Don't worry. Long story. I'm father of nations. Okay. Hello. I'm father of nations. I'm calling those things that are not. For 25 years, he believed God. It was 75 when God said, you're going to be the father of nations and change his name. For 25 years, he called things that are not as though they were. If I had to bring a little apple tree over here, a little baby one over here. You know, they say fruit trees, they take seven plus years before they produce any fruit. So I bring a one-year-old little apple tree, two-year-old, three-year-old apple tree, and I put it over here. And I said to you, this is an apple tree. You know, you could argue where the apples prove to me it's an apple tree. I say, well, you know, you've got to wait seven years for the apple to come. Does that mean in the meantime I am being dishonest by calling that an apple tree? Shouldn't I just call it a tree? In seven years the fruit will come. Folks, this is the thing about the promises of God. We are believing God. We haven't seen it come to pass, but we're still speaking it. I believe that God has called me into the ministry, that God is going to use us to plant a prototype church in the great city of Peter Maritzburg that will be 
phenomenal an expression of family that will be devoted to Jesus, that will walk in the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, a multicultural, multi-generational group of people that are united to see Jesus made famous, loving the unlovable, amen, being authentic in relationships, being, being, being phenomenal in, in, in representing and honoring Jesus in everything we do, Amen. God called us in 2001. We weren't even in ministry. We got a prophetic word. God is going to use you to plant a prototype church. We were not in No way. We held on to the promise. God, you've called us. And literally five years later, we moved to Peter Maritzburg to plant this amazing church. Amen. But we had to, in those five years, folks, we went through hectic stuff. We, 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 we moved down to Cape Town for training. There was no training. I didn't have a job. We thought we'd get a salary. We didn't get a salary. We literally had to live by faith. I had two little children. We'd, we'd given away all our possessions because we thought we were, uh, yeah, we didn't have, we had nothing. We were literally house-sitting. We moved in, in two years, six different times. We were just trusting God. I mean, our, our lives just collapsed in front of us. What we thought would be didn't be. But we still believed we are called. God is going to use us to birth something beautiful, something phenomenal, something authentic that's going to glorify God. Many lives are going to be changed. Amen. We're going to plant one foot on the campus and one foot in the community. Build a community where students are going to see authentic marriages and families and what family life is like. Amen. And where families are going to be healed and marriages are going to be restored. Amen. We live for this stuff, but often it takes years for it to come to pass. So, apple tree, okay, are you, are you being inauthentic? When you are declaring things God has spoken over your life, but you haven't seen it yet. Calls God, calls things that are not as though they were. Amen. Folks, if you're in a hopeless situation, maybe you need to start speaking some things. Even though you're not seeing it, you need to start speaking things over your life. Amen. I know that my marriage is going to get better. I'm going to have the richest, sweetest marriage. My children's marriages are going to be rich. Yes, I come from a generation of broken marriages and adultery and incest, but it's stopping in my generation. My children are going to love God, serve God, be happily married their whole lives. I'm going to have grandchildren. They're going to live up in healthy, loving homes because I'm going to love my wife until the day I die. Amen? Can we, can we call that, even though there's conflict in the home at the moment, etc.? No, I'm contending for my marriage. I'm contending for my children. Amen. I want to just finish off with this, fathers. Fathers, what are four things? And these are just four things. There are many other things I can say. Fathers do this for their children. And I'm putting up, because remember, as children of the living God, our Father does this for us. And I pray that we would do this for others. Fathers, bring protection, provision, belonging, and identity to their children. And I want to say, you know, so often you, I know we live in a fatherless generation. The statistics of how many children in South Africa grow up with their biological father is staggeringly low. I know probably the majority of you sitting here and saying, I never got that from my dad. Well, welcome to the club. None of our fathers were perfect but our Heavenly Father is perfect. So we celebrate Father's Day this day. Just firstly recognize your Father in heaven wants to provide all of this for you. Amen. 
And if you are sitting as a young man, you say, I never had this. How am I meant to get this? How am I meant to give this to my sons and daughters one day? Well, spend time with your heavenly father. I actually want to finish off with a hope video. And Stella shared this video with Jenny a, a while ago. Jenny shared it with me, and I just really love it. I've been looking for a chance. I don't know if I did this whole hope series just to play your video, Stella. It may be. I may be. Maybe. <laughs> but this is a video. It's called One Day. So video team, um, you guys getting things ready. You can get it on the screen. When I say go, you start. Don't start before. Don't start before. Just, just pause it. I want to intro the video because it needs a bit of an intro. But you can get it on the screen and you know, move it there. I know what you need to do. It's called One Day. And this happened, was it 2017, 2018? I can't remember. Because my kids looked at this video and they said, why aren't they wearing masks? <laughs> okay, I was like, yeah, you're really 2020 kids, aren't you? <laughs> Anybody who doesn't wear masks, they're like, <laughs> where's your mask? So, so what happened? This was done in Israel. Okay, they'll pause it and just go back to the start. Um, yeah, it's, it's tricky. We tried, we're trying various ways to play videos. Um, yeah, just go to the beginning if you can, Cynthia. It's very tricky to do that. There we go. Okay, they'll go now. So what this is, this guy had this vision to bring people in Israel and Palestine together. As you know, the animosity, the hatred, the fear, the prejudice is just off the charts. And, and literally, what they did is they invited 3,000 strangers to this town called Haifa, which is a town in Israel. Different people from different backgrounds. Now, it is in Israel, so I would guess most of these are Israelis or Jewish people. But they invited Palestinians and v people from various Arab nations as well. So it was a totally mixed. And they got them to sing. So this is a mass choir. And they trained them in a short space of time. I've watched other Kululam videos. And it's become a movement where they, they invite strangers together. They've done it all around the world. And they, they literally create this mass choir. Like, the, you guys on this side, you singing this part. You guys on that side, you singing this part, etc. They train them for one hour. And then, and then they roll the videos. And they sing the song. Amen. If you want to enjoy this video, please go to YouTube. We're putting a link to the video on the screen as well. And we'll also put the link to the video in the description below. God bless. We trust you enjoyed that message. And if you would like to find more info or listen to more messages, please visit our website at www.hispeoplepmb.co.za. We also upload our videos to YouTube so you can visit our YouTube channel or you can visit our SoundCloud channel to listen to more messages. For those of you who listen to podcasts, you should find our messages on your favorite podcast app. And then of course there's WhatsApp. If you want to receive info or events via WhatsApp, then please save this number at 061-452-0877. That would go to our church administrator, message her, and she'll be able to help you get more info. Finally, 
You may want to join us in person for church services at 154 Burkett Road, Scottsville, Peter Maritzburg. We hope to see you. God bless you. Thank you.